ahead, but let's pray once again and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I thank you for everyone who's here and those that are watching online, none by chance, all by divine appointment. Lord, may you meet us here. I pray the man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. So before we get into the text, quick, quick background. So as we know, because of Israel's disobedience at the time, and, and Judah's disobedience, that God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to overrun Jerusalem and to overrun Israel, and the people were taken away captive. And among those taken away captive, we saw in chapter one, were four young men, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And then when Nebuchadnezzar came, he actually came in three waves. Each time he would come, he would take the things that were valuable and keep them and destroy or enslave everyone else. So we saw in chapter one, Daniel, I love Daniel. And as we've talked about, we know he's a sinner saved by, by, by faith like all of us, but he's one of the few guys in the Bible. We have 70 years of his recorded life and we have no recorded sin. We know he's a sinner like everyone, but it's a good thing that everybody in the Bible is not Daniel or we'd all just punt, right? I mean, if, if that was the measuring stick, we're thankful that other believers, God does not hide the frailties of his, of his heroes, which means God can use people like us who are extremely flawed without him, Amen. So we saw that Daniel came and he's getting drug away. And I just love what we saw in chapter one, where again, he's seen family die. He's seen neighbors die. He's seen how ruthless Nebuchadnezzar is. He gets to Babylon. And when he gets there, he's probably assuming that he's either going to be enslaved or maybe even put to death. And instead he's brought into you know, the king's palace. They roll out the, the best food, the same food the king eats. And Daniel, because he knew the word of God, purpose in his heart that he would not defile himself. And he knew that it could cost him his life. Most people believe Daniel was 13, 14 years old at this time. How many 13 or 14 year olds are willing to lay down their life for the Lord like that? So Daniel, his name means God is my judge. I believe obviously he was raised right. He was taught the truth and he stood firm. And we know that he even convinced uh, you know, the, the head of the eunuchs to change the diet and change it for everyone eventually. And, they were, and because he was faithful, he continued to be elevated and promoted. Well, then last week, if you were here in Daniel chapter two, I tell the message from a troubled spirit to a place of worship and surrender. And we saw last week that King Nebuchadnezzar was having a dream. And it was a dream that was keeping him up night after night. And he was so troubled by it, said he was troubled in his spirit, that he called all his wise men in. And at this point, it's only in the second year that Daniel's been here. So Daniel's still in pagan university, right? He's being, he's being indoctrinated with sorcery and magic and witchcraft and all the pagan idolatry, kind of like going to college today, right? And so he's being indoctrinated, but he's still continuing to stand for the truth. And so he brings in all the magicians and all the soothsayers, and they all come in and they have no answer because anybody could make up the interpretation of a dream, but he wanted to make sure they really knew what they were talking about. So Nebuchadnezzar said, you need to tell me what the dream is and then interpret it. And we saw that the people said, well, only God can do that. Nobody but the gods can do that. And so they started killing the wise men and they went to get Daniel and his friends. And Daniel's like, why is there such an urgency? Why are they putting people to death? Well, the king Nebuchadnezzar was not a guy who was slow to anger. This guy got angry quickly. He wanted what he wanted and there was nobody above him to stop him from doing what he wanted. And so as the wise men are being killed, they bring Daniel in and Daniel asked for a little more time. 
Now, when the other, when the magicians asked for more time, he didn't give it to them. But Daniel must have had something in it, you know, a way of ministering to Nebuchadnezzar where he goes, okay, take some time. So what did Daniel do? If you were here last week, what did Daniel immediately go do before he went back to talk to the king? What did he do? He prayed. He gathered with his other faithful guys who we're going to talk about this morning, Hanani, Azariah, and Mishael. They gathered together. They got on their face. They cried out to Almighty God, and he sent word back that they would come with the answer even before he got the answer because he had faith that God would give him the answer. That's called faith. Amen? And so he comes back before Nebuchadnezzar. He tells him the dream. He interprets the dream. And then let's read the last few verses in chapter, there, chapter 2 there. It says there in verse 46, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him, And the king answered and said, truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him a ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and the chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. You know the wise men loved that the little Jewish boy was now in charge. You know they loved that. And also Daniel petitioned the king And he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So Daniel was obedient to the Lord. He was willing to lay down his life. He was faithful. He trusted that God would deliver. When God did, Nebuchadnezzar could not refute it. And at least for the moment, he says, your God is God. And he did, he did like the interpretation of the dream that he was the golden head. If you remember that it had all the different kingdoms that were coming, we looked at that in depth. You can go online and listen to it. So at the end of this, he's literally on his face before Daniel. He has elevated Daniel because he's being faithful. And we're obedient. God is glorified and we get blessed often, right? So God's using him, put him in a position of authority, kind of like what happened with Joseph. God does things like that. And now we get to chapter three. And you're going to think, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar chapter two? Where did that guy go? Well, it's been about 15 years between chapter two and chapter three. Some time has gone by, and we're going to see that Nebuchadnezzar, being a very self-focused, uh, bitter, angry man who wants everybody to bow to him, has returned back to his nature, and now the faith, and again, the standard of standing for the Lord is going to be put to test in these same four young men. So if you have your Daniel 3 outline, grab it. We'll go through it quickly, and then we'll get into the text. I tell the message, it's, t- it's time to take a stand for the Lord, living a life of radical and unwavering faith. You've heard me say often, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Often we'll say that we have faith, but then we really find out what, what kind of faith we have when we're put to the test. Uh, Pastor Rob always says, uh, you know, you Christians are like tea bags, right? You put them in hot water, you find out what's on the inside, Right. And guys, it's when we go through those trials of life that we find out. Now, Daniel has settled in now. Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been in positions of authority. They've settled in. They've been in, uh, you know, Babylon is their home. They're being used there. Are they still standing for the Lord? Are they still willing to stand even when nobody else will? Well, that's what we're going to see in this morning's text. So the five points. First, we must first recognize the false gods of this world. You can only recognize the false gods if you know, worship, and walk with the true and living God. Are there false gods in this world? What's the answer? They're everywhere. They're all around us. And we need to recognize there's only one true and living God. And it's not phobic to say he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? 
And so we follow him alone. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And you know what? All the other false religions are, they're either cults or false religions. And we need to love those people. We need to point them to Jesus because there before the grace of God goes us. But we should not kowtow to false religions and false gospels. We need to make a stand for the truth, even if it may cost us something. Amen? Do it in love. Be kind, be gracious. Don't be self-righteous. Don't be arrogant. Let's represent the Lord well. So if we have intimate fellowship with the Lord, if you're hanging out with the Lord, if you're spending time in his presence every day, if you're spending time in his word, you're going to be a reflection of him, and you're going to know him well enough that you can recognize the counterfeit when it comes along. Walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit will keep you from being moved by the fear of men or peer pressure. Guys, we're to fear God, not man. What's the worst thing the world could do to you? What is it? heaven. He kills you. He can't threaten us with heaven. Amen? The worst thing the world could do to us is the best thing that could happen to us. Again, don't be arrogant and don't be a jerk and don't be self-righteous, but do not be ashamed of the gospel and do not fear men. We fear only God. Point number two, it is one thing to stand for the Lord and another thing to keep standing when the consequences become real. You know, we all have these, well, if that happened, I would stand. And then when it happens, we find out if we really would. I could say this right now. If they came in here right now with AK-47s, put us against the wall and said, confess God or we're going to kill you, I think most of us would say, well, I would, you know, deny God or we'll kill you. We would say, well, I would stand for the Lord. And then it's different when there's an AK-47 pointed at you. And you know, Daniel's a man of faith, so are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we're going to find out that they're going to be put to that test. Again, it's one thing to stand for him. And it's another thing to stand for him when it's going to cost you something greatly up to and including your life. In some cases, it'll cost you your job. It'll cost you friendships. It'll cost you relationships if you stand for the Lord. And the easiest thing for us to do is just go with the flow. And you've heard me say it, any dead fish can go with the flow, right? We can just be like the world and, and most of the people are going to be bowing and it's easy for us just to be like them. But guys, we're called to be salt and light and called to be different. One thing to make, again, is to stand in theory and another thing to stand when it will cost you something. Number three, choosing to stand for the Lord whether he delivers you or not. Guys, we stand for the Lord even if he says no. Amen? Amen? To stand for the Lord even if we do end up getting thrown in jail or, or we do lose our job or there's a friendship that is broken or in some cases you, people are martyred and they lose their life. But guys, we don't stand for God only if he gives us what we want, right? Because then he's not God. Then he's just the genie in the sky that we only follow when he gives us what we want. Guys, we follow the true and living God. He knows far better than all of us. If you've truly surrendered your life to him, he can do with you as he wills. And as we've said often, nobody in the Bible used mightily, not one person. There's not one person used mightily in the Bible that didn't suffer greatly. Suffering is a part of that surrender, the fellowship of his suffering. And so we're going to go through. Now, we don't suffer like people in Iran or people in Afghanistan or people that are in China that are standing for their faith. And our suffering is far less, no doubt. But again, we need to be willing to suffer for the cause of Christ because it's a part of what we are called to do. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, Job said. And may we be men and women who would rather die with conviction than live with compromise. Number four, when you take a stand for the Lord, the world won't like it. The world won't like it. Right now with everything that's going on with Israel and and the non-existent country of Palestine. All that conflict, there's people going after each other. And I'm seeing it. People are angry and I've had people write me texts and how can you stand with Israel? Because God's for Israel. That's why. I'm more pro-Israel than anybody on the planet because God's pro-Israel. I was saying earlier, if I was 25, I might go join their army. That's where I'm at. Because God's pro-Israel. Amen? Now, do they have blinders on their eyes? What's the answer? Do they still need to be 
transformed. It's coming in the great tribulation. We saw it in the book of Revelation. I truly believe millions of Jews will get saved during the great tribulation. They're still God's chosen people. God still has his hand upon them. It doesn't mean everything they do is right, but we stand with them. Amen? And they will, again, the world will do all they can to intimidate you and to silence you. And when this lost and evil world attacks you for your faith, never forget who is standing right beside you. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? God is for us. Who can be against us? And finally, it is better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. You know, it's better to be in the worst trial that could possibly come upon you with the Lord than to have everything the world could offer without the Lord. Amen? So let's begin there looking at it's time to take a stand for the Lord, living a a life of radical and unwavering faith. We're going to begin there by looking at we must first recognize the false gods of this world. It says there in chapter 3, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold. Now, where did he get the gold idea? The dream he just had years earlier. And in the interpretation of the dream, Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. Now, that should have humbled him. And it may have for a moment when he cried out and said, Daniel's God is God, but it didn't take long for him to start to say, yeah, I'm the head of gold. Matter of fact, I'm going to make a whole statue out of gold of me and make everybody worship. Look what it says. It said, whose height was 60 cubits, its width six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So 60 cubits, a cubit is a distance between your elbow and your fingertip. So it's not a, an exact measurement. Often they use whatever the king's measurement was, and they call that a cubit. So 60 cubits would be about 90 feet tall. So about nine stories tall, and it's about uh, nine stories wide. So this is a big statue, and he puts it out in the plain where it can be seen for miles, where everybody can see it. It stands out. You've got a, a flat plane, and you have this statue right there, and it's a statue of Nebuchadnezzar, and it's made out of gold, so you know what was costly to make it. It took time to make it, and now he's establishing himself as a god. Look what it says in verse 2. And Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So instead of humbling himself before God, he allowed the head of gold to create an excessive amount of pride, built a great uh, golden image of himself. And then the first thing he wants to do is get all the leaders in line. He says, if I can get the leaders to follow, the followers will follow. I want to get all the people in charge. I want to get all my wise men. I want to get all the guys that have positions of authority. If I can get all of them to bow, I won't have to worry about anybody else. So the first thing he does is bring them all in. And Nebuchadnezzar is known for a man that will kill you if he doesn't like your answer. And he's a man that's a man of anger. And we're going to see that in this morning's text. So you're brought in you know, way worse than going to the principal, right? You're coming into Nebuchadnezzar and there you are in the room and he's going to challenge your faith. He's going to challenge you and he's going to say, look, you either align with me or die. You either bow to me or die. And guys, that's kind of like the world we live in today in so many ways. So he built it as a tribute to himself, as a tribute to his great wealth. He wanted to unite the people in worship and Nebuchadnezzar was tempting to create a world religion with himself as its one and only God. You know what? This is the sin of Lucifer. What did Lucifer want to be? He wanted to be God. 
And he wanted God to bow to him. And, you know, we live in a time today when, you know, pride and sin, right? The middle letter is I, and there's so much self-focus, and we make it about ourselves, and we become the God of our own life, and that I want to do what's comfortable for me. I want to do what I want. I want to do, you know, I will. You know, the satanic, you know, statement of faith, if you will, is do as thou wills. You know, do whatever it is that you want. So here's King Nebuchadnezzar doing just that. And he wants everybody to bow to him. And we know, only, only those who know the true and living God know that he is a false God. There are other idols in Babylon, but this is going to be the chief idol. This is going to be the one that everybody has to bow to. And if you do not bow, it's going to cost you something. Brainwashing of the people began with its leaders. Get the leaders to bow. Everyone else will follow. And man today continues to build idols unto himself, promoting the worship of anything other than the true and living God. Be careful what you worship. Amen? And again, look, I'm a sports guy. I love sports teams, but I don't worship sports teams. I don't worship, you know, actors or I don't, my boss or whoever, right? We worship the Lord and the Lord alone. Amen? Cheer for your team. Praise the Lord. Have fun. Do that. But guys, if we're going to be fanatics, let's be fanatics for Jesus Christ. That's where that word fan comes from. So now he has all the leaders, he's brought them all in, and now he's going to give them the word. Here it comes. Like, here we go. You guys ready? By the way, there's one person missing from this meeting. Who is it? Daniel's not there. Bible doesn't tell us why he's not there. I have some ideas that we'll look at at the end. So, so, So the satraps and administrators and governors and counselors and treasurers and judges and magistrates... And all the officials of the, pres- of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So they come out, and now they're staring up 90 feet in the air, looking at this golden statue. And recognizing it, no doubt, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar made a statue of himself. Now, as they're staring at this, and they're looking up at it, and they see it in all of its wonder... They probably know there's something coming. And here it is, verse 4. He says, Then the herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery, and symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So the leaders are gathered together, and now that, I want to say this, true worship never comes from contrition. What do I mean by that? True worship is never something where if you don't do it, you're being threatened. True worship is when you have a heart change and you're worshiping out of love. Amen? It's something that you desire to do. It's a get to. It's not a have to. And true worship must always be done freely and from the heart. And true worship can never be stopped by threats or persecution. I think the people that worship the most are the people that are being persecuted the most. Often, they, you know, the um, voice of the martyrs, forgetting his name right now, um, he came to the church, my dad pastored in Santa Cruz a couple times, and he talked about how they imprisoned him for his faith, and they put him in an L-shaped, where he could not lie down and he could not stand up. And he would, his own waist was piling up, and, the, and, and he was in a dark dungeon. And there were other believers that were down there, and he would take the, they were taking the chains and banging them together to play worship songs, and they were worshiping the Lord. And then we don't worship because, well, it's, you know, that's the prelim for church, and I'll just get there during worship. Guys, worship is one of the few things we do on earth that we're going to do in heaven, amen? 
And worship, we should be a house of worship, a house of prayer, honoring the Lord. And so music is a powerful tool. Isn't it a powerful tool? When I will hear a song that was popular when I was in junior high and I'm back at the seventh grade dance. Tell me that's not true. <laughs> Tell me that's not true. You'll hear a song and it just takes you back in time. And there's something about music that plays on your emotion and stirs you up. If you watch the movie without the soundtrack, not so much. But they'll make you cry just playing the music that they play behind what's going on in the movie. And so here he is. He's going to use worship, in a sense, to the idol. He's going to use music to stir the people up, to stir up their emotions. And then he's also going to use threats on top of their emotions being stirred up by the music to get them to bow. Now, this is just Pastor Dave's opinion, okay? I'll stand over here, so... All right. Music was created to worship the Lord. Amen. And I'm not saying that there can't be a secular song that you like, but I'm just saying don't allow the the enemy, the way the enemy uses music to stir up your emotions and drive you in a direction that drives you away from the Lord. I'll tell you what, I, I know there's a difference if I'm playing, you know, 70s rock in my car or if I'm playing Phil Wickham. Amen. It's just a different, right? Doesn't it? It draws you closer to the Lord. It makes you think on the things of God. And so this music is going to be stirring them up, and it's also going to be kind of a cue for every time you hear it, you better bow. You better drop to your knees when you hear that music or you're dead. I did prison ministry for many years, and I was out in Lancaster uh, Prison, and they have a maximum security yard. And they would play a certain siren, and they would tell us when it plays, all the inmates have to drop, and they would tell us not to to stand up. So they would, and, and so we would all stand and they would tell us not to wear you know, the colors that they wore so we would stand out. And it was amazing because I was there, I don't know, maybe 10 years going every Tuesday night. And so this happened a lot of times and boy, that music played and these guys, or the horn played and then they dropped. And then when I imagine what's happening here, I can imagine the music starting to play and everybody being afraid of Nebuchadnezzar and not wanting to have face the consequences. And they just all fell to the ground. And the easiest thing to do would be to just fall with everyone else. Because if you fall with everyone else, no one else is going to tell you that you're being a coward or that you're being ungodly because they're on the ground too. And too often that's what happens with the believers. If we're hanging out with people that compromise a lot, We'll compromise right along with them sometimes because they're, they're in that same spot. And we need people who will stand when nobody else does, amen? We need to stand for the Lord even if the, the entire office where you work isn't going to, or your neighbors aren't, or your family members aren't. So it can be a powerful tool, either godly worship or worldly idolatry, and you know which it is, again, discerning the central focus of the music. Is it the Lord or is it the things of the world? And so he says, when all this music plays, you need to fall down and worship the golden image. So you got to worship the king. Worship King Nebuchadnezzar. Look, I've said this before. I'm as patriotic as anybody on the planet. I do not worship the United States of America. I don't worship our president. Thank you, Jesus. I don't worship, I don't worship the governor. I pray for them. And we should pray for them. And we should submit to the authorities God's placed over us until they tell us to disobey the Lord. But guys, our hope is not in the White House. It's on the throne of grace. Amen? As we focus on the Lord and we seek first his kingdom. And I'm going to get in some people's kitchen. Donald Trump's not the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. Now, should we vote biblically? What's the answer? Absolutely. Vote biblically. Vote for the person that's going to, you know, 
hold of more of those standards of what we find in the Word of God. We should absolutely do that. But I remember there was a big Trump rally on a Sunday morning here during the last election, and we had about half our church go to the Trump rally instead of coming to church. So I guess I found out who your God is. And you know, you know your pastor's kind of direct sometimes, okay? All right? Because guys, politics won't save us. Again, vote, vote biblically, be involved. We should, be, we should vote. We should show up. Do it. Amen? But Jesus is the answer. It doesn't matter how many presidents we have. It's what our nation needs is to repent and fall on our face and worship the King of Kings yet again. And praise God for our new Speaker of the House. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> praise God for a guy who says, they say, well, what's your position on that? He says, go look in the Bible, and that's my position. And you know what? We need some guys like that. Amen? But again, he's still not the answer. Jesus Christ is. And he's our hope. And so we're going to see there in verse 6, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Now, this is when the threat becomes real. It's not like you're going to lose your job or, you know, you're going to be cast out of the city. You're going to be thrown into the fire and burnt alive. This is the consequence of not bowing. He entered in Nebuchadnezzar instituted a torturous penalty for those who did not bow to the idol and they, and they would be burned to death. And when the music was played, it created an instant fear of men, incredible peer pressure, not wanting to stand out or go against the flow and, and knowing that they would face the consequences of Nebuchadnezzar. So they're telling, he's telling all the leaders this, this is what will happen. And so when they play the music, everybody's got in their mind, well, I don't want to burn to death. And you know what? Everybody else is going to fall to the ground. And even if I don't want to worship this, no one's going to know the difference. And I can just pretend to worship because I do not want to be put to death. I don't want to leave my family fatherless. I don't want to do that. So I'm going to go ahead and bow with the rest of the crowd so that I can continue uh, to live my life here on earth. And so many of us, again, would deal with the same struggles today that in some cases, standing for the Lord, again, could cost you your job could cost you something in the workplace, right? Cost you something in your neighborhood. But guys, look, if I'm going to somehow put a wedge between me and somebody else, it should never be because of my personality or my arrogance or anything about me. But guys, when we stand for the things of God, there will be those who stand against it. And again, if God is for us, who can be against us? And we stand for the Lord no matter what it costs. Amen? Again, it's easier said than done. I haven't had to do this. I don't think any of you have had to do this, but we're going to see how they respond. Now watch what happens. Verse 7. So at the time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the gold image which Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They all bowed. They all bowed in fear. I doubt very many of them bowed in reverence. I think they were bowing in fear. They, were, they don't want to die. Their life is on the line. We'll just do what everyone else is doing. They worship the false God. And if you stand up, you're going to stand out. And I'm sure some were convinced in their hearts that they, they should stand. But at the same time, fear, they listened to fear in their own heart. And they caved into the fear instead of standing for the Lord. Again, may we fear God more than we fear man. I think two biggest problems we have in our country right now is biblical illiteracy and a lack of fear of God. 
People say they love God, but you know if you, But people will say, I love God, but I continue to walk in an open rebellion against him because I know he loves me. Guys, we need to love him, but we need to also fear him. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? If there's no fear of God, we will continue in our behavior. Our sin will make excuses for it. But when we fear God, it, again, it will ch- it'll change our behavior. Again, I believe most probably on the inward, we're trying to justify their actions and rationalize what they were doing. But again, as I said, any dead fish can go with the flow. They're going along to get along. We're just going to go along with everyone else. Nobody else can point at me because they're doing it too. And so again, I'll talk to Christians. You'll see their relationships look like the world's relationships. When you do counseling, their relationships are no different than unbelievers sometimes. Why? Because they've become more like the world and they're adapting to things that the world does. I think believers challenge me and say, yeah, of course we were going to live together before we get married because, you know, that's the world. Well, yeah, we don't follow the world. We follow the Lord. Amen? We don't listen to what the world tells us is okay. The culture should not change the church. The church should change the culture. Amen? And we need to live out loud for the Lord and be unashamed of Him in all that we do. So what is it truly is the highest form of worship? We know this if you've been coming here. What's the highest form of worship? What is it? Obedience. We see it in 1 Samuel 15, 22, to behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. The highest form of worship is obedience. We can raise our hands and sing praise songs and that's worship, but the highest form is not just singing the songs, but it's living it out every day. Amen? So here's an opportunity to worship. How do you do that? You obey God rather than man. When Daniel said he had purpose in his heart, he would not defile himself and he didn't eat of the food. And now Daniel's not there. His three closest friends are guys who've been put in positions of authority how are they going to respond when everyone else bows? How, would you, how are you going to respond? How have you respond, responded when everyone else bows? This was not worship. Uh, what it really is, is blasphemy. You know, what are the first two commandments? Did they know the first two commandments then? then? What's the answer? Absolutely. No other God before me, no graven image. It's the first two. You have no other gods and no graven images. Okay, here's a graven image that's going to be your God. Bow to him. As believers, that shouldn't even be something we debate. Now, again, I get it. We can bow to the pressure of the world. We can be worried about the things going on around us. And guys, it isn't always something this dramatic, but there are times when we're going to have the world expect us to bow to what the world wants us to do. And guys, we need to make a stand for the Lord. Amen? Again, I don't want to bring it up again, but I will anyway. Uh, You know, when churches close, and again, every pastor's got his own. I I had more pastors chastising me than anyone. How dare you? You don't love your people. You know what? We always told, stay home and watch the live stream, but if you want to come to church, come to church. If you're going to Home Depot and the grocery store, you can come to church. Can I get amen to that? And like, we're going to worship the Lord, right? And, and you know what? Forsake not the gathering yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. And you know what? Again, we don't want to be like walk around like we're so good because we did this, but no, we just want to obey God. Amen? And even if nobody knows, let's just obey God. Let's just do what God's called us to do. So we see that these leaders are bowing. And again, this was not worship, but it was really the ultimate blasphemy, and there is no excuse for it. To point number one, we must first recognize the false gods of this world. We must first recognize the things that we can be, be careful not to bow to. We can bow to the stock market, right? I mean, we can bow to finances. We can bow to our hobbies. There's things that we can make more important than God. We never want to make those things more important than the Lord. Be the best worker at your office. Be the best neighbor in your neighborhood, but again, above all else, honor the Lord. So point number two, it is one thing to stand for the Lord and another thing to keep standing when the consequences become real. 
So it says, therefore, at a certain time, the Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. Now remember, the Chaldeans were part of that wise man group. And they were the ones that had been elevated to the highest authority until Daniel was put above them and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these Chaldeans, they no doubt, they don't like it that the Jewish boys are in charge. And so what do they do? And they're just looking for a reason. And now they're going to come and make accusation because we're going to see that these young boys, or not young boys anymore, but this time they're probably in their 30s, are going to make a stand when nobody else will. Look at verse 9. They spoke and said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, O King, live forever. By the way, you think they meant that? I think if you had died the next day, they'd had a party. O King, live forever. We're going to smooze you. We're going to tell you what you want to hear because that's what we are, right? He says, You, O King, have made a decree that everyone who hears the flute, the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the fiery furnace. So he's reminding them what they already know. Hey, king, remember you said this. And, uh, you know, you said anybody. And these guys, I think, probably ran to King Nebuchadnezzar when they saw these three young men standing. They couldn't wait to remove these guys to take them out of the way because they were in positions of authority within the land. They had, they had been, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had the most to lose from a worldly perspective because they had been put in positions of great oversight. The godly men who would not worship the false gods of this world, no matter what the consequences might be. And the Chaldeans were most certainly jealous of these outsiders being in such great positions, and they knew the king could not and would not stand for their actions. Look at verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage, oh, look, verse 12, excuse me. Then, a certain, then it says there, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. They had names that honored the Lord. These were names that honored false gods, and they're calling them by those names. It says, these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. And I would say, praise the Lord to that. Amen? So these guys are not bowing. Everyone else is. They're standing. They're not heeding your counsel. They're not listening to what you've said. They're going contrary to your demand. You know what they're doing, king? They're making you look foolish. They're not honoring you, king. Now, you've made a decree, and they just reminded them, you made a decree. If they didn't bow, they're going in the fiery furnace. And so they didn't bow. So they let the king know. And let's see. Now, has, has, has the chapter 2 at the end of it, your God is the only true and living God, and we worship the God of Daniel, did that stick? Well, let's take a look at the next verse. The Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. When I read texts in the Bible, especially like this, I kind of put myself in different people's shoes and I, I can almost imagine King Nebuchadnezzar, I just see the vein in the neck popping out, don't you? In the forehead, he's right? he just got this mentality. And we had these old videos when my kids were little and we had one on Daniel and that's how they depicted him. Like he's just, he's about to, his head, face is red and how dare anybody defy me? And he's just got this anger. And it's just, he's so filled with fury and rage. This is not a guy you can negotiate with. This is not a guy that wants to listen to your side of the story. This is a guy who's in charge and he's angry. The Bible tells us that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Amen? 
So when someone's angry, they don't respond right. And this guy's a pagan idolater who now thinks he's God himself making a statue to himself. Somebody didn't bow. And in his fury, in his anger, in his rage, he says, bring those guys to me. Go get them. King Nebuchadnezzar had shown his vicious side before and had proven to be one who would not stand for any type of nonconformity to his commands. Just remember that conformity is as often the opposite of walking faithfully in conviction. Amen? Conviction and conformity are often just very the opposite extremes. Do we want to be conformed to the world? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen? We don't conform to the world. We don't try to be like the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. We minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it, right? The boat's in the water. We don't want any water in the boat. We want to impact it for the kingdom of God. And so he calls them in, he gives the command, he's bringing them forth. So they've already stood, but now this time they're going to stand with Nebuchadnezzar there. And Nebuchadnezzar is about to blow a head gasket and he's got the fire heating up. And now it's one thing to stand when Nebuchadnezzar's up in his palace and you're miles away. And it's another thing to do it when you know it could cost you your life at any moment. Look at verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying to them, is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up. Now, as believers, that should be an easy, no, I don't. Amen? Amen. Do you worship the idols? No. You know, I've been to India during Diwali, which is the high Hindu holiday. I've been to India seven times where I go and teach the Bible to guys who come out of Hinduism and come out of uh, Islam, and they become pastors, and we, we teach them how to study and teach the Bible. Well, I was there during Diwali, and during Diwali, they literally have these gods. If you walk down the street, you're going to walk by 40 idols in a mile. I mean, they have all these little, and people are bowing, and they're putting, you know, little trinkets in there, and they're, they're worshiping these, these idols. And as you walk down the road, they're everywhere. And so idolatry, you know, it's all around you. It can be all around you. But now, you, you know, you watch, you walk by and people are bowing to these idols. And I've t- shared this with you before. The one guy was weeping in front of this little elephant statue and crying out to God. And I did not know his language. And it broke my heart because I wanted to let him know there's a true and living God who actually hears your prayers. And that's just a stone made with hands. Amen. And so here he's telling him, you're going to bow, are you going to bow to this golden image? Now, again, if someone's truly walking with the Lord and truly has a passion for the things of God, it would, it would just tear your heart out to even think about bowing to one of these false gods. Amen? Now, that being said, we have other things that we don't call gods, and we bow to those instead. We need to be careful. Now, look at verse 15. Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you should be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Now listen to this. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? So back in chapter two, he said, your God is God. There's no other greater God. And now fast forward 15, 17 years, he thinks he's God. And he says, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? See, to me, when I hear things like that, it just makes me want to charge. How about you? It just kind of stirs you up to be even more devoted to the things of God when someone is questioning our God and doubting our God and all but cursing 
the true and living God. He questions the three men's actions and then puts it to the test, complete with threats, not only of physical harm, and knowing their faith assures them that their God cannot save them. Your God won't save you. Where is your God? Your God's not real. I get more and more of that than I've ever gotten before. I had a guy tell me, Jesus didn't even exist. And you just go, bro, you know, what's the date today? 2023 years since who? Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? But, but there's a mentality where when you talk about the Lord, people get angry. And you know why? Because it's convicting. The cross of Christ is a stone of offense. And people don't like it. People don't care. You can have, Buddha, you can have Buddhas on every hillside from here to Santa Clarita Valley. Nobody's saying anything. There's one cross and they've been spending millions of dollars to try to get that thing taken down. Because Buddha convicts no one because he doesn't exist. He's got oranges in his lap at the Chinese restaurant. He doesn't do anything. But the, but the cross of Christ... The cross of Christ is offensive. It's convicting. People don't even want to see it. They want to remove it. And they want to remove the believers in this case. If these guys stand, other people won't stand. If these guys stand and we don't put them to death, then they're going to wonder if that statue really is the true and living God. We, we need 100% conformity. Everyone must bow. Well, guess what? There will be 100% conformity, and it's going to be every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? but we don't want any conformity any other way. And so now they've stood before, but now they know if we stand again, we're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. And then they challenge our God, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? So point number two, it is one thing to stand for the Lord, another thing to keep standing as the consequences become real. Point number three, choosing to stand for the Lord whether he delivers you or not. Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we, whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor we worship the gold image which you have set up. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was probably really happy with that answer. Can't you just see? He was already filled with fury and anger. I mean, like I said, the veins are popping, and he's just so angry. And then they look at him and go, yeah, we're not doing it. Our God will deliver us, and even if he doesn't deliver us, we will never bow to that golden image you have set up. And again, his head's exploding. And not only that, the other People in positions of leadership are watching to see what he's going to do. Is he going to stand behind his word and put these guys to death? They're in positions of authority. They have great wisdom. They're being used in the kingdom. He's going to make a statement by saying, anybody who doesn't bow, even the, my right-hand men, they're all going to die. This guy's filled with arrogance. Who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? And I love these men who would rather die with conviction than live with compromise. The God whom we serve is able to deliver us. They contradict what he said. Who is the God that will Our God can deliver us. Amen? Our God can. Our God has at the cross of Calvary. Amen? And so when the world challenges you, know what you believe and why you believe it, and don't allow the, you know, the pressure of the world to get you to lose faith in the true and living God. By the way, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. As believers, we will face trials. Our, our faith will be put to the test. Again, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And here these guys are, and they're standing firm. They're not going to wilt under the pressure of the world. 
They're not going to wilt under the pressure that they might lose their own lives. They're going to stand for God no matter what. And Lord, help us to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Amen? Regardless of the circumstances or the consequences, they would not obey, again, disobey God. You know, choosing to stand for the Lord in a time when you know it's going to cost you the most. Many of you, we had during COVID and things like that where your jobs were being threatened and you had a conviction of what you should do in that circumstance. And we prayed together and many of you stood and a few lost their jobs and a lot didn't. But you know what? Again, will God provide for us if we stand for him and lose our job? What do you think? He's a faithful God. He'll provide. But again, it's easier said than done. It's easy for someone else to stand up. I encourage you, bro, stand up, right? (laughs) It's another thing when I have to stand. It's another thing when it could cost me something right? It's not as easy when it's on us. Point number four, when you take a stand for the Lord, the world won't like it. Look at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And this is why I see I'm biblically based here. Look what he says. And the expression on his face changed. Ah, oh, can't you just see him? And you know, this guy kills people at the blink of a hat. They didn't, didn't know the dream. He was dicing up wise men. So now these guys come in, they're not bowing. He's going to show everybody that he is the, the God of the, of the land, that, that they need to worship him as they worship his idol, and he's not going to take anything else, and he's getting so angry. But again, I've, I've learned this a lot, that when you're having a discussion with somebody, the one who is loudest, the one who's the most angry is usually the one that's wrong at the top of his lungs. And the Bible tells us the soft answer turns away wrath. Amen. And when people are angry, we don't, need to, we don't need to match their anger. We don't need to match that. And so he's, he's angry. And you know, you, no doubt all the guards around him and all these other leaders are like, oh, this isn't going to be good. Oh, man, I'm glad he's not mad at me. Oh, man, these, these Jewish boys are in trouble. Nebuchadnezzar rage causes him to want to drive home the consequences for those who defy it. Notice what he says here at the end of verse 19. His face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he spoke spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was heated. They heated it seven times hotter. Heat it up! How hot does fire need to be to burn you? Is he trying to make a point? What's the answer? Heat it up! I can just hear him screaming, right? And and, and you can just see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just, heat it up! They're binding these guys up. He wants it. I'm making a point here. And he's just angry. And you can just see the bitterness. And you can see how hard his heart is toward the true and living God and how filled with himself he is and how filled with pride that he is. And he's screaming at the top of his lungs. And these three, and nothing makes him matter than those three boys who won't bow. Those three young men who will not bow. And you know what? We're going to face times when the world wants you to bow and you don't, and they're not going to like it. They're going to call you all kinds of names because you don't bow. Amen? Because you don't follow along with what the world and the culture wants you to do. And so he's heated up seven times hotter. Now watch what happens, verse 20. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were with the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. So what he does is he gets his best soldiers. 
He's not gonna, does, they weren't going to escape anyway, but he wants to make sure they don't. He wants to make the point. He wants to drive it home. He wants everybody to watch as these guys get thrown into the fire, get set on fire, watch them turn into ashes. And he wants to make a point that anybody else who thinks about doing this, this is what's going to happen to you. They want to use, he wants to use the fear of man to keep people from walking faithful to God. And so here's what he does. He has them all bound up. These mighty men of valor, the greatest of the kings, uh, mightiest of men. And again, they'll never measure up to God. See, no matter how great the world's armies are, our God is greater. Amen? It doesn't matter how mighty men are, but it gives a sense of the king's anger and his fury. Now, the fiery furnace is probably shaped like a kiln. A lot of times we see it in illustrations, and, and again, we don't know, we can't say for sure, but more than likely, it's a kiln where they would open the top and they would push the men in, or they would you know, add to the flames from the top, and then there was a hole in the side where you could look in and you could see the flames. And so they would feed it from the top, and you could look in from the side and you could see the fire and you could see the things that are burning inside of the furnace. And so these men are bound and he commanded these mighty men to cast them in to the burning fire. Look at verse 21. And it says, Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. So they were bound. Uh, I don't th- it doesn't say they tried to escape. Uh, they, did, they were not going to obey man, even if it was going to cost them their life. They trusted that God could deliver them, but he said, even if, they, even if he does not deliver us, we will not bow. So even if God doesn't, sometimes we think, well, if I stand for God, certainly he's going to show up and rescue me. I won't just save my job. I'll get a promotion. Sometimes you lose your job. Sometimes there are consequences that come when we stand for the Lord. Amen? And they had made it clear, even if we don't, even if God doesn't deliver us, we'll never bow. It's not going to happen. And for for a man who was so self-centered and so self-righteous and so prideful, there's nothing he hates more than people that won't bow to him. It's like Satan. Amen. He's really a picture and a type of that. So these men of valor, watch what happens in verse 22. It says, therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the guys who are you know, taking them up, they're in chains and open up, more than like open up the top of the kiln and throw them in. When they open it up, it's so hot, it kills all the men of valor. Now, it's all, it, to me, it's always amazing that, you know, sometimes they'll say, well, they were in the fire, but it wasn't a real fire, and that's why they didn't die. Well, it killed the guys at the top, so it's a real fire, amen? Too often people try to explain it away and act like God can't do the miraculous. Our God's a miracle worker, amen? He said, light is and light was. I mean, put the stars in the sky. He's all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful, King of kings, Lord of lords. And he can put you through a fire without you getting burned all day long. Amen? Sometimes you will, and it will be for God's glory if we will let him. So they were cast bound into the fire. But as faithful servants of God, they didn't face the fire alone. Notice what happens again. Look at verse 24. The three men were thrown in the burning fire first. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. Hey, did we throw three in? Verse 25, one of my many favorite verses in the Bible. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is in like the, the likeness of the Son of God. Guys, when you're in the fire for the Lord, you are never alone. 
He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He may allow you to lose your life for him, but you won't lose it by yourself. And when you close your eyes on earth, you'll open them up in glory. Amen? Christians don't die. We move to a much better neighborhood. Amen? And so, you know, you can't threaten them with heaven. And so they get thrown into the fire. And, and see, King Nebuchadnezzar is a guy that's hard to reach. He wasn't going to be reached by an argument. He wasn't going to be reached by an apologetic you know, argument, right? Well, you know, the, you know, the word in the original Greek. No, then that's not going to happen with him. He's screaming. He's yelling. He's angry. The last time to get him to bow to the Lord, it took the interpretation of a dream, the reading of a dream that he couldn't even remember, reminding him what it was, and then interpreting it to get his attention. This time, he's thrown him in. He is so set in his ways. He's so angry he can't see straight. Heat it up seven times hotter. He's looking in, and all of a sudden, he sees four in there, and one is in the Son of God. Again, because Jesus is in the fire with them. Amen? Now, I love this so, so much because when we go through great trials, may you be reminded, if you're in a trial right now, know that the Lord is with you. The Lord, well, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's also, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf. You know, the world wants to isolate you and make you feel like you're going through these great trials alone. You need to know that as believers, we're never alone. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Amen? And Almighty God walks with us, and He will never leave us nor forsake us. And so whatever that trial is you're going through, know that you're not going through it alone. And you know, it's usually when you go through the greatest trials of your life that you need the Lord the most, and I can say personally, when you sense His presence more than any other time. Last two and a half years since Mark went to heaven, the Lord has been more present in my life than ever. And you know why? Because I need Him more now than ever. And so when you're going through these trials, just know that you're not alone. The enemy will try to tell you that. He wants to isolate you. He doesn't want you to be in fellowship. He wants you to try to face it in your own strength. And, and then you'll, you'll be depressed and discouraged. And, you know, and a depression's a real thing. And we need to get help with that. But here's, so the point is that here they are standing for the things of God. And because they stood for the things of God, God is going to use them. And God is going to bless them in a mighty and a powerful way. And he's going to use them to reach a man that's unreachable any other way. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, again, stood when no one else would. These historical events also, some believe these are prophetic pictures as well. I'll just give this to you. We can take it or leave it. Nebuchadnezzar, for some, is a picture of the Antichrist, the last world ruler of that gold image. Uh, the gold image represents the abomination of desolation. When we'll see this in Daniel 9, 7, and 9. We'll see uh, more future events. The three men represent the remnant that will miraculously come through the great tribulation. You know, there's going to be people that come through it and are saved. And Daniel, some say, is a picture of the church that's been removed before this took place. Now, how is King Nebuchadnezzar going to respond? Kind of hard to refute. You're in the fire and you're not burning. Kind of hard to refute that. Amen? And sometimes God will have to do the miraculous to get someone's attention. Now, Jesus is in the fire with them. Jesus is with you again in the midst of your trials. Jesus said, the Bible says this in John 16, these things I have spoken to you in me that you might have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. Matthew 28, 20, when he ascended into heaven, he said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So the Lord is with them in the fire. Now notice how King Nebuchadnezzar responds as we look at the final point. It's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. The Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace. 
spoke saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who is the God that will... No, no, he's not saying that anymore, is he? Not saying who's the God that will deliver you out of my hands anymore. That, that changed. Look what he says. Servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Now, I love this. Who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Come out, come out, you servants of the Most High God. And I love this. You know what's amazing to me? They had to be called out of the fire. Anybody ever burnt your hand before or burnt anything? Do you, have, do you like have to contemplate how long you want to keep it there? <laughs> they're in the fire and they're hanging out in the fire. They have to be called out of the fire. Why? Because it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. Amen? Nebuchadnezzar's in torment. Oh man, oh wait, whoa, hey, come out. Servants, come out. He's in torment. He's the king. He's got it all. He's got a statue of himself. And the guys in the fire are the ones that are more peace. We're going to see the same thing with Daniel when Darius is up in the, he's going to be up in the temple or in in, in his palace. He's going to be tearing the place up and Daniel's going to be in the lion's den sleeping. Because it's better to be in the lion's den with Jesus than than in the palace without him. Amen? Guys, it's better to be in the worst and most difficult trial this world can dish out with the Lord than to have everything the world has to offer without him. Amen? We're the most rich of all people. We have a relationship with the king of kings. Amen? Guys, we must never lose sight of that. The young men had to be summoned out of the fire, and their, their stand for God had an impact on Nebuchadnezzar and the entire world. Guys, again, when we're obedient, God is glorified. Often we get blessed. Sometimes we face consequences. And in fact, their fire had no power shows that when God delivers us, he delivers us completely. Look at verse 27. It says, come out, come out. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. Now, do you think that if there were some that were faithful to, that knew the Lord, others who had come to know the Lord or have faith in the Lord, and they saw these guys go through the fire and not be burned, do you think it increased their faith? What's the answer? And don't, doesn't the faith of others, isn't it contagious when you see somebody remaining faithful in the midst of a great trial or standing for the things of God, even though it may cost them something, doesn't increase your faith as well? What's the answer? And so when you see that, you're like, wow, okay. I think I've told you guys this many times, one of my favorite Bible teachers is John Corson, and mainly because he lost his wife, then he lost his daughter, then he lost his son. He didn't lose them. He knows where they are. But that brother kept being faithful. And I would look at that and think, man, you know, that's the kind of person I want to hear from. Amen? I want to hear from people that, that their, their faith has been tested, and they've remained faithful through it, and they have not wavered, and they have not bowed, and they have not gotten discouraged. And again, it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean he doesn't grieve. It doesn't mean that we don't grieve when we go through great trials. Of course we do, but we grieve, but not as those without hope. Amen? We have the promise. So Nebuchadnezzar changes his tune, and then all the other leaders see that not a hair of their head was singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of the fire wasn't on, and the fire didn't even touch them. There was no, it burnt the men of valor, into, it burnt them to a crisp, and the guys walking with the Lord, the fire was all around them, but it did not impact them. They didn't smell like the fire, their hair wasn't singed on their body, because when God delivers us, he can deliver us completely, amen? And he delivers them. And so when they walk out, those, those satraps and guys, some of them that went and told, I'm going to tell. Remember, they went and told. Nebuchadnezzar, you got three guys, they didn't bow. 
And now they're standing there thinking, this is going to be sweet. Watch these guys barbecue. And then what happens? They come walking out, and those guys are like, whoa. So it wasn't just a testimony to Nebuchadnezzar. It was a testimony to everyone. Amen? And it's those trials that we go through that are some of the greatest opportunities to point people to the Lord. Who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? To there is no other God who can deliver like this. Look what it says in verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, its messenger, but we know it's the Lord, and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Isn't it amazing that three three young men standing for the Lord had such a radical impact on King Nebuchadnezzar in a short amount of time. He was so enamored with himself, and that one act of faithful obedience, he could not refute it, he could not deny it, and he goes back to being the same guy he was at the end of chapter 2, about 17 years earlier. Oh yeah, well, they only worship their own God. Well, he's God. He went from, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? They will not worship anyone except their own God. Now watch what happens. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks against this, uh, speaks amiss against this God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made into an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver you like this. Well, whichever one he's standing behind, he's serious, right? <laughs> Before it was, if you don't bow, you're going in the furnace. Now he's like, if they, if they don't worship the true and living God, we're going to just cut them into pieces. This guy's, I mean, he, he doesn't do anything halfway. And so if you don't follow the true and living God, you're going to be cut into pieces. Why did this happen? Because somebody, these young men stood. And sometimes, again, the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one who can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking for men and women who say, Lord, here I am, use me. It may not be a fiery furnace, but it may just be an opportunity to stand for the Lord, maybe when nobody else will, or to, be, uh, to represent the Lord well by love and grace and mercy that you show people. But guys, we want to live in such a way that they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Amen? And too often, Christians, we can be self-righteous, we can be arrogant, uh, you know, we can be seen as very judgmental, and we want to love all people. We don't condone ungodly behavior, but we should love all people. Amen? And so what happens is when we, when we represent the Lord well, then God is glorified and things change. And when we do things contrary to the Word of God, people mock Christianity because they don't like Christians. They see Christians that have been hypocrites, and we don't want to be hypocrites, amen? We don't want to be mask wearers. We don't want, guys, if Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count, amen? When we leave here, we should leave here different than the way that we came, and we should be encouraged and strengthened and exhorted in our walk with the Lord. And then it says in verse 30, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. They went from, we're going to fry you to death, to a promotion, and we're going to, we deny who is the God that can deliver out of my hands to your God is God and there's no other God and people that don't worship your God, we're going to cut into pieces. That's an impact when they stand for the things of God. Amen? You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have already twice stood for the Lord. They've trusted the Lord, they were delivered, and they were promoted each time. And again, we've got to make, make it clear, we don't, want to, we don't want to act like every time we stand for the Lord, we're not going to face the consequences because sometimes you do. Sometimes in standing for the Lord, you might lose something, again, of this world. But we won't lose anything that's permanent, amen? Because the things that are permanent, 
again, the Lord will never let us, never snatch, they'll never be able to snatch us out of his hand. So it's time to take a stand for the Lord. We must first recognize the false gods of this world. Secondly, we must, it is one thing to stand for the Lord, another thing to keep standing as consequences become real. Choosing to stand for the Lord, whether he delivers us or not, and you take a stand for the Lord, the world won't like it. It's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. Now we're going to go to a time of communion. The guys are going to come bring the elements. Worship team, come on up. As they lead in one worship song, I would encourage you to hold the elements in your hand. We'll take them together. But while, they, while we worship with them, I would encourage you to three things when we do communion. I'd like to encourage you to first thing, look, look back. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So remember the cross of Calvary. May it never grow common. But then also look within. We should examine our own hearts before the Lord. If this needs to be a time not only of remembering what the Lord has done, but coming with a confessing heart and a broken heart to get right before him. But not only do we look back to the cross and look within to examine our own hearts, Jesus told them at that last supper that we would take communion with him in heaven. And at the same time, we should look forward to the fact there's a day coming. We'll be in heaven with the Lord and we will take communion with him. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you as we go now to this time of communion. May this be a time of reverence, a time of looking back to the greatest act of love in all of human history. Lord, just meet us here. Help us to be still and know that you are God. And Lord, just draw near unto you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.